Good morning. We continue in our study on the Gospel of Luke. Today we enter into chapter 22 of Luke's Gospel. As Luke approaches the events of Passion Week and of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we see in this chapter, particularly, there is a prominent person lurking in the background. We will see him in the text. His name is Satan. Satan is a an angelic being created by God in glory and beauty who in pride and arrogance rebelled against our Heavenly Father, was cast from heaven, whose heart is filled with evil only and seeks to destroy all and any. Now, Satan is thought of by many as just a, a part of mythology or others would uh, consider him to be an evil power who is parallel with the power of God. And, and so we have these equal forces battling back and forth of evil and good. Uh, but Satan is, is not a myth, and neither is he God's equal. Created by God, depends upon God for his own existence as much as we do. And in the passage we're about to read, uh, we will see that his activity is real and that he is very persistent. So we begin reading Luke 22, verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death. But they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of a crowd. Dropping down now to verse 21, uh, here the Passover meal is taking place. Jesus is with his disciples. And Jesus said, Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Now dropping down to verse 31. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, 
I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you asking that by your word you would fill us with understanding, your understanding that we so desperately need. For we are people assailed and struggling in this world by things physical and spiritual. We are in need of you. And so we ask that your grace would abound to us specifically as each one needs and how we praise you that you are willing and able to do this, that it is your heart to do this. So be with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We see Satan's influence three different places, three different groups of people in in the passage. The the first place of influence in these verses is with the, the chief priests and the scribes. Now, Satan is not mentioned in these verses by name, but we've already been told about his influence on these religious leaders. Back in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus, in speaking to these same men, had this to say, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. These men had carefully observed Jesus throughout his ministry. They heard what he had to say. They had seen his works. They were aware that just days before he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And yet their best response to all that they had seen and heard from Jesus was let's kill him. Indeed, they were sons of their father who was a murderer from the beginning. The murderous intention of of Satan is not just causing at times one person to kill another in the beginning as we saw with Cain and Abel. But Satan's desire is to cause people to destroy their own souls as he did with Adam and Eve questioning whether or not sin would lead to death. Now the timing of of what is taking place here is, we're told, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was part of the whole Passover festival the week following. And in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the people not only only ate bread that was unleavened, but they uh, purposefully went through their homes removing all leaven, which represented sin, from their home. It was a feast of remembering that we, as God's people, if we identify with him and follow him, we're casting sin from our lives uh, in every aspect. So as these men are celebrating the casting of sin from their own homes, as they would go back and make sure every little grain of leaven was gone, they are planning murder in their actions and hearts. 
These men knew the scriptures, but their hearts were captured by other values. Verse 2 says, they feared the people. They wanted to make sure the people didn't get mad at them. Uh, they, they failed to fear God, to be concerned of the consequences of lives that were not wholly given to him. But it is not only in these chief priests and scribes who we have seen along the way have long opposed Jesus and his ministry, who have felt jealous of his popularity and have wanted to uh, gather that attention for themselves. Uh, the next place we see Satan's influence surprises us. For he has actually not only come to influence Judas, one of the 12 apostles, he has entered into Judas. Verse 3, Satan entered into Judas and he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how to betray Jesus to them. How shocking. Judas had lived with Jesus, traveled and ministered with Jesus. He had innumerable times prayed with Jesus. And yet, now he he willingly, by his own initiative, betrays Jesus. But this betrayal is not as sudden as it looks. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 6, we're told that Judas secretly was a thief. He was in charge of the money bags used in Jesus' ministry, and he used to the scripture says, help himself to what was in it. We see his, his heart was already given uh, to double-mindedness. He appeared as a disciple to those who saw him, but his heart was never truly given to Jesus. In Matthew's account of these events, he tells us that Judas went to the chief priests and the scribes asking, how much will you give me if I betray Jesus to you? We don't know exactly why he would do this. Perhaps he could see the opposition growing. Perhaps he could see that Jesus might surely be arrested somehow and be put to death. And in his covetous heart, he decided to abandon what was failing and get something out of it while he could. That had to be some of his reasoning we see just by his actions. But whether it was Judas or the chief priests, they all saw an opportunity to get what they valued most. And it wasn't love for God and the service of his kingdom. Jesus is grieved, but he's not caught off guard. Verse 21, he says, Behold, the hand of the one who will betray me. He's sitting here at the table. He is in this meal with us. Jesus knew who would betray him before it was done. Now, this brings up a lot of questions to us. 
did Satan force Judas? Verse 3, it says that he entered into Judas. And certainly that influence became much stronger in entering Judas, but Satan only offered to Judas uh, a lie that, that Judas wanted to believe. Another question you may have is, did God manipulate Judas into this? Verse 22 tells us this was part of God's determined plan. God chose one of these who would follow to betray Jesus. But again, Judas had the heart for it. That is how God used Judas, but he uses each of us according to the direction that our heart is intended. He was not going to use a disciple who loved Jesus to betray him. He used one who was double-minded. Just as God chose Mary to bear Jesus in birth because she was a woman who had a heart of righteousness to raise him in a godly way. God chooses and uses us according to the way that our heart is turned. He will not use a godly person to betray. Another question is whether or not God was unfair to Judas. Who knew what he was going to do, but in verse 22 says, Woe to him, the one who would do this. But again, Judas clearly made his own choice in this. This was his heart. Consider, he's there in the meal. He knows what he's planning to do. And then he hears Jesus say, The one that's going to betray me is here. Think of the panic that had to seize up in his heart. The next words he probably was expecting was Jesus to point and say, and there he is. His heart had to be in his throat, terrified. And yet, he proceeded. Knowing Jesus knew, even that did not deter him from what he had planned in his heart. And perhaps a fourth question some may have. Well, if Satan entered Judas, could Satan enter me? Could Satan enter into the heart of a true believer? And certainly a, a true believer can be influenced by Satan, as we will see in the case of, of Peter. But every true believer has the person of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And Satan cannot push out or push aside the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God does not invite roommates to dwell with him in our soul. So we have seen Satan influence as chief priests and scribes. Uh, we see him not only influence, but enter into Judas, one of the twelve. And now Satan is after Peter, the leading apostle. Verse 31, Jesus said to Simon in that same meal, after Judas has left, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you. He wants you too. Years later, Peter is much older in one of his letters to the churches. 
In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, uh, he writes this to us. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Certainly, as Peter was writing those words, uh, these events were in his mind and probably others in addition. He, he knew the reality of this roaring lion seeking to devour, to destroy. And yet we see that Satan had to go through God first. Satan is demanding permission. He cannot go after the people of God without the permission of God. We see this in the Old Testament as well. When Satan, in a similar way, seeks after Job, who was a godly man. In each case, we have Scripture alluding to this interaction between Satan and God. We read it in Scripture. Have you ever wondered about the conversations between Satan and God about you? Certainly, it's not just Peter and Job that Satan has gone to God about. You've never probably thought of that. Your name being in a conversation between the Lord and your great enemy. Satan's purpose is always to destroy. That's his intention in all that he does. God also has a clear, consistent intention, and that is to glorify himself. To protect his people. At the same time that Satan is seeking to test Peter, to sift him, to ruin him, at the same time Jesus says, and I am praying for you. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, you strengthen your brothers. People of God, these these realities both take place in your life. Satan is seeking to bring ruin to you. And the Lord Jesus is praying for you and sustaining you. Both of these are real. Which of these realities do you believe is the greater one? Who in the end will get his way? Who in the end stands? Who in the end rules? Who in the end will bow before whom saying he is Lord? Your faith struggles, but your faith also holds. Not because you are holding on so well, so strongly, but because your Savior holds on so well to you. He has committed himself eternally to you, not letting go. 
Now, what we need to see, what we wish was a little bit different, was that Jesus never prays that Saint, that Peter is not tested. His prayer is not that Peter is never tested by Satan, but that he would be sustained. Now, certainly we would like it that we're just simply never tested. We do tend to like life without opposition. We like life that is easier, problem-free. And in many ways, our Lord certainly does this, but problem-free life doesn't always help us to grow or mature. And that's our Lord's greatest intention. Not just that we are His, but that we are growing as His. And that means we have to learn to, to make our way through struggles and opposition means we even have to fall down and learn, well, what does it mean to get up again? And it means that if we are to serve others, we need to understand what struggle, failure, and getting up feels like and looks like. Jesus never gives up on Peter, even when Peter does fall. I have prayed for you. And when you have turned again, his prayer is not just that Peter gets up, but that he continues to serve and strengthen his brothers. Now, Peter had to turn. Jesus said, when you have turned, that means he had to repent. We, we always must repent of our sin. But Jesus simply never gives up on those who are his. And neither does he distance himself from us. We have a hard time believing that. I can remember reading an article by a, a Christian counselor who was talking to a woman whose life was filled with all sorts of inconsistencies and, and difficulties. And she was at her wit's end and he started the conversation by asking her, what do you think God thinks of you? And the answer just poured out, God thinks I'm a loser. God thinks I'm worthless. It was a, a very wrong assessment, but one that certainly led her to inconsistency because she believed, well, how could God care about her with her failures? How could God stick with her? If we don't believe in God's commitment to us, then we're going to interpret every failure and struggle as God being angry at us, as God being against us, as God wanting us out of his sight. And that is not true. God who knows you in all of your failures. He's the one who pursued you. He is the one who gave his life to you. He is the one eternally committed to you. And he never wants distance from you. If you're a parent, 
you've known times of frustration with your children. Perhaps even a, a little bit of irritation. At that moment, you were not pleased. In fact, you might have been mystified as you said those famous parenting words. What were you thinking? Well, the same thing you were thinking at their age. Of yourself and whatever you wanted to do. But even in our frustration, we, we don't want our children to disappear. We, we want restoration. We want relationship. We, we want what's best for them. We want them to live wisely, and we want to be part of it. And God is a much better parent than we are. He wants us near. Any voice that speaks to you to pull away, to hold back from God, is never his voice. Because that is never his will. He wants to correct us to wisdom, to walk wisely and righteously, but God never puts us in the doghouse. He never wants us to be distanced. So whenever you are embarrassed by your own sin, frustrated with your own failure, and feel that you can't even go to God and pray because you're embarrassed, that is not God's desire. He wants you to run to him immediately, quickly, always. Now, Peter, in this, he answered Jesus with bravado. Verse 33, Lord, I'm ready, I'm ready to go to prison and death with you. I'll never betray you. At the moment, Peter believed it. That's how he felt. That's how he thought. But we, we've all felt that and thought that. The moments, Lord, I'll never sin that way again. Not ever. We're inconsistent, we're caught by surprise, at times we're half-hearted. And so we need to remain aware of our need. Later that same night, Jesus, while he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, said to Peter and to James and John, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. God has given us the means for our weakness to be strengthened. He's given us access to him, free access to him. He's given us his word, which cannot fail. He's given us the church to be strength to us. He's given us his spirit who dwells in us. Now, people of God, you, you believe these things are meaningful and true. Where I would challenge you a little bit is to recognize that then that's what your children need most of all. There's many things we're trying to give them and do for them that are wonderful to do and to give to them. What do they need most? What they need most are the means God has given. 
the gathering of God's people together. The family just reading the Bible, not your having every theological answer, just showing we love the word of God, so we read it together. We believe it, praying together. Now, your children don't need a parent who does these things perfectly because they won't. They need to see the example of someone who persists in it in the midst of weaknesses, someone who at times messes up boldly, loudly in front of everyone and then confesses and follows again. They need to see what that looks like because that will happen to them. Jesus warns Peter, he corrects Peter, but notice he never demeans Peter and he never berates him. Beware what what voice we imitate. We're in a culture where Those we disagree with are demeaned and berated. We castigate them. We put them down. We become angry at them. We do not see Jesus acting that way. Beware who your example is in how you write answers on Facebook and how you talk to people of different views. There is a way that discussion takes place in our country, in our world, and it is not of Christ, and we are not to follow it. It is not to be the example we imitate. Now, as we kind of wrap things up, what should we understand then about Satan? Mention a few things quickly that we we draw from the passage. First, he is a real person, and he is active. And every influence of his is deceptive and murderous. So that means all of your small sins are deception and destructive. They put you on a trajectory to push God aside. Every comfortable sin that you're used to, that makes you feel better, is deceptive and ruinous. Every pragmatic sin compromises that you have an excuse for because you think, well, this is going to be better in this small way. It is never true. Satan's intention is always to your ruin. Secondly, Satan and God are not evenly matched. Satan is a great enemy. Jesus is a far greater savior. Satan, even here as he's trying to destroy and derail Jesus' ministry, cannot keep himself from fulfilling Jesus' plan. And even as he thinks he is casting Jesus aside, he is participating in the salvation of all who would believe. Third, Satan can instantly instigate particular sins, but our hearts must embrace them. So no, the devil cannot make you do it. And last, God will preserve everyone who is his. Judas and Peter were both sifted, afflicted. Peter's faith stumbles. Judas' faith was found to be empty. 
Peter was preserved. Jesus doesn't cast Peter off into second-class service. So we shouldn't do it to ourselves and we shouldn't do it to others. Your great enemy is not the people you disagree with or disagree with you. And in this time of, of public discourse that concerns us, your great enemy is not even people who, who have purposes that you think would be ruinous to the country. It's fine to be concerned, and we have the great privilege to vote and to have our say. But our great enemy is always the enemy of our soul. And we need to keep that in mind. And his enemy is everyone in this world. So we all have the same enemy, including those whom you disagree with. We all have the same need. We need a savior. We need to see the truth. And the truth we need to see is that Jesus will save anyone who comes to him. That's what people need to hear from us. We all need grace. And God has grace in abundant supply to everyone who comes to him and wants it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as, as people who understand something of temptation and of this enemy and even of failure. We've experienced it more often than we want, and at times our soul has been greatly discouraged. Help us to see the greatness of our Savior, in whose hands we dwell, that we would have fresh courage, but also give us grace to see and to be warned of the dangers of following the voice that desires our ruin. And together we ask for anyone here who's never really understood or believed or entrusted themselves to Christ, Lord, we ask that you would make yourself known to them. We ask for this by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.